The use of surveillance cameras to monitor public activity is a sensitive subject in general, and it's something the American Civil Liberties Union normally would frown upon. Of course, that's more of a government-watching-its-citizens type issue. Now, with Ray's concerns over police abuse and even lethal force, of course, you think of the high-profile cases of Michael Brown in Ferguson, as well as Eric Garner in New York, and the use of body-mounted cameras on police officers, it's truly become a focus nationwide. Now, there are, as always, pros and cons to any type of technological strategy, and that might include invading the privacy of those police officers, as well as victims, and even just innocent public bystanders who might be in the area. So we do want to examine some of those aspects, and of course, it pertains to the workplace as well, because how many of us would want to be watched all the time via video camera while we're at work? Well, we're going to look at that today, and thank you once again for listening to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and this episode of Technically Speaking, we're welcoming on Jay Stanley, and he's going to discuss the ACLU's view on what policies might need to be made in order to comfortably and effectively utilize those body-mounted cameras for police. Jay is a senior policy analyst with the ACLU's Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project, so this is an area he's gone very much in-depth on. Jay, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Well, the topic we're talking about, of course, has picked up steam in the last couple of years, and it's funny because it kind of hits on a couple of different areas, and one of that section really is the idea of surveillance, and of course, the ACLU normally looks down on that type of thing, but when we're talking about police body-mounted cameras. It's a little bit different. Can you explain why the perspective is different for the ACLU? Yeah. So, I mean, we're not against cameras. What we're against is mass surveillance where the government watches everybody all the time. Sure. In our view, in our, our legal tradition, the government doesn't look over your shoulder, literally or figuratively, unless it has you know um, individualized suspicion that you are involved in, in wrongdoing. It doesn't right. watch everybody all the time just in case somebody turns out to be involved in wrongdoing. And, you know, we don't like blanketing all of our public spaces with police video cameras and so forth. But, you know, at the same time, we think that, you know, individuals should have the right to watch their government. The Mm -hmm. government works for us. We should have the right to watch what they're doing, even though they're not supposed to be watching what we're doing if they're not, you know, if we're not suspected of wrongdoing. Right. And so if you look at something like sometimes we've called for for cameras in prisons, Uh, we've supported dash cameras on cars because we feel that they do more to allow the public to monitor officials than the other way around. Now, police body cameras are tricky because they're kind of a little bit of both, mm-hmm. right? They're intended to provide oversight over police officials and allow people to see what police officers have done in tricky situations, controversial situations, shootings, critical incidents, et cetera. But they also, of course, are going to, you know, they're going to be videotaping. They are government cameras. and They're going to be videotaping the public. Police officers, you know, they see a lot of things. They go a lot of places. They go into people's homes. Mm-hmm. A significant proportion of police calls are domestic violence. They may see accident, car accident victims as they, as they lie dying on the pavement. And so there's going to be a lot of sensitive information collected by these cameras, but they do have the potential to be a good oversight mechanism. And so we tried in our policy proposals to try and walk that line and allow us to have our cake and eat it too, to get the benefits of the technology without exposing people to serious privacy invasions. Sure. No, and you know, as you mentioned, the the policy recommendations that you guys had, and it's complicated. There are a lot of issues that go to it, and we're going to touch on some of those as we move forward. You brought up the idea, of course, that there would probably be some privacy concerns for the general public. Uh, you mentioned going into homes. I guess, are there any ways you could try to limit that a little bit, uh, whether it be conversations that people wouldn't want being heard? Uh, I know you, there was also brought up a possible safety concern in, in certain situations with victims or with retaliation. 
Can you talk a little bit about maybe how that could be limited as far as uh, what's seen and what might be released to the public? Yeah. So our policy paper, which we put out six months before the Ferguson protests, we tried to lay out a, a scheme in which we could preserve privacy and still allow these to be an oversight tool. And what we called for is that basically most of the footage that's collected by these cameras will really go into a black hole or a mm. lockbox and won't really be used for anything, will be just deleted after a certain period of time. The only exception would be footage that's flagged because it contains footage from a use of force or there's been a complaint against a police officer. Sure. You know, that footage would be treated, you know, differently, would be stored longer. Footage that contains evidence of a crime would be treated like any other evidence, according to police, you know, or procedures. But, you know, if you're just walking down the street or in line at a coffee shop and a police officer's chatting with you, you need to have high confidence that any footage that's taken won't be end up on YouTube. And we also called for limits on when the police turn them on. And that's one of the trickiest areas here, which is when the police turn them on and mm -hmm. off. You don't want police officers to have total discretion so that they can you know, edit the video on the fly by turning the video off, engaging in abuse, and then turning it back on again. So we called for very strictly enforced protocols that, that direct police officers to turn on the cameras when there's a call for service or a law enforcement action, when, when an encounter becomes hostile, et cetera. Right. And those should be pretty clear directions to police officers. At the same time, we say that police officers should be able to turn them off if they are interviewing a witness. You know, police officers might Exam uh, might be interviewing, you know, sexual assault victims, children, or perhaps an informer who doesn't, who's afraid of giving intelligence to the police if they're on camera. Right. And we also call for a policy in which the police officers do not videotape inside your home without your permission. Hmm. Some people, you know, some, there are there are people who have had police officers come in their home, sit down in the living room, talk to them, threaten them, sometimes abuse them. And, and some people might actually want the protection that having the camera on provides, whereas other people might decide that they're, they don't need that protection and that they care more about the privacy. And that decision should be up to them. Although we do say that in SWAT raids and warrants and so forth, where the, the police are coming into your home without your permission, without that are not consensual, mm -hmm. that the camera should be on because we're seeing a lot of abuses with SWAT raids. Now, you brought up an interesting point there a little bit earlier is the idea of trust. Uh, of course, that's a big part of, I think, why all this has come about anyway, as far as trusting authority, trusting you know witness accounts in terms of what happened or what the police did or what the potential criminal or victim ends up being what they did. Do you think that ever really comes full circle and people will trust, even if you have these cameras, they're going to trust everything's on the up and up that you're seeing unedited versions, that it wasn't stopped and started. I mean, is there any way to really get past that at any point? Well, I think that, you know, well, no, I mean, the real world is a messy place. And I think that unfortunately, we probably still will see shenanigans taking place in terms of some police officers manipulating the video. But I think that if good policies are in place, and, and importantly, if those policies are enforced by police management so mm -hmm. that, that police officers who don't comply with the policies get punished, which we don't always see, then, you know, I think you can do a pretty good job of, and the technology has pretty good potential to increase trust in the police. The technology is there to prohibit tampering with video that is captured. There have been incidents where police have shot people and the cameras have not been on and they claim that it malfunctioned and the uh, manufacturer was able to come and look at the forensic logs and prove that, uh, in fact, the camera was turned off manually by the officer and an officer was fired for that. Hmm. The important thing is that police departments working with communities take the time to think through things carefully rather than just slapping these cameras on their officers and thinking that 
you know, they've done something that's going to help. Right. Now, on the flip side of this, of course, a lot of the focus ends up being on what you're going to see the officer doing or saying. It can also be a benefit to the police officers in terms of what goes on or what is being said. Can you explain a little bit of that? Because I think a lot of times the focus is so heavily on, you know, what the officers might be doing wrong versus what the criminal in in some cases might be doing. Yeah, I mean, this technology really does have the benefit to be a win-win. And I think a lot of the police officers out there, from what I'm hearing from police chiefs and others I talk to, uh, a lot of police officers who are initially skeptical or wary of this are finding that they, they like it. Police officers are vulnerable to false accusations. There have been officers who have been accused of, um, you know, for example, sexually assaulting um, somebody that they arrest and been exonerated by the cameras. The situations where it can help an officer range all the way from shootings, about whether it was a good shooting or not, mm-hmm. all the way down to a citizen who says that the officer acted unprofessionally and was rude. Police officers, unfortunately, deal with a lot of baloney and many of them find that these cameras can help them in those situations. And certainly, you know, nobody thinks that somebody who's lying about something happened to them, you know, should be protected from. Right. And at the same time, where there is an officer who does do something wrong, it can it can help bring justice. I mean, one of the things we've seen in recent years is a lot of uh, videos have been um, appearing online of police abuse. I think that it's opened a lot of people's eyes to, unfortunately, just how common abuse is. You know, it can be a win-win and go both ways. In terms of the privacy side of things, again, you noted that if there's a consensual entry into a person's home, that they would have the right, in theory, to you know, ask them to turn the cameras off. How about just in general letting individuals know in some way that they are being recorded, uh, whether it be, I don't know what examples you might have, if there's a technology to use, if it's simply just stating it out loud. What are you kind of looking at as far as the policies that could be in place for that? Yeah, I mean, what we've called for is that whenever possible that police officers do uh, inform subjects that they are being taped. And there are other ways they could do that, such as, you know, perhaps wearing a button that says, you know, uh, camera, body camera is uh, in use. It's important that people know when they are and are not being videotaped. That's an important principle of privacy. So you know whether the audience for what you're saying is police officer standing in front of you or if it's potentially the whole world because it's on videotape. That's just a principle of fairness. But I think over time, it's likely that in many communities, these cameras will become just a standard piece of equipment Mm. on police officers and everybody will kind of know that police officers carry these. And then it's a question of making sure that people are aware when the camera is actually rolling and when it's not. You mentioned to me also the idea of potential issues, concerns, or thoughts when it comes to the privacy for police officers and management. Uh, what's sort of the underlying look at that when you're talking about using these police cameras? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the potential things that people have worried about, including us, is that they will be used to violate the privacy of police officers. I think that you know, no, no employee, no worker wants to be scrutinized 24-7, videotaped and audiotaped by his or her boss all the time. It's never a comfortable situation. That's one of the, and one of the reasons that surveillance is uncomfortable and why we oppose surveillance right. generally. But uh, you know, police officers do have enormous powers. They have the power to arrest you, to use brutal force against you, and even a license to kill you in some sort of situations. And with that enormous power comes enormous responsibility and the need for enormous oversight. So we do think that, you know, having the body cameras is justified for police officers in a way that we would not support for building inspectors or meter maids has been <laughs> proposed in some places or teachers or school principals or others where, you know, the balance between privacy and oversight is different. I haven't heard of anybody being shot by a building inspector. 
you know, I think that it is a concern. And one of the reasons why we think that police officers should not have to have the video, the, the, the cameras running at all times is there is concern that, you know, maybe a police officer who's active in his, his or her union and mm. might be you know, looked on unfavorably by a police management, the police management would then use the cameras as a way of nickel and diming an officer they're trying to get and, and finding, you know, technical violations or sure. what have you. I think that's a real concern. And one of the reasons why we say that the video footage that's not flagged should really just go into a black hole and, and, and not be uh, abused by police management for that reason. Along the same lines, uh, what are you looking at in terms of who would have access to it or who could, you mentioned flagging it, or who could in some way make it public? Uh, where is that line drawn in terms of either who's on camera, or who's using the camera? What have you kind of explored when it comes to the policies there? Well, for the you know sort of everyday footage that's not of public importance, uh, you know, police officers dealing with a domestic violence dispute or what have you. And it's just like this, it's just not publicly important as long as there's no allegations of wrongdoing against a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, basically nobody should have access to that footage. I mean, the officer can, can look at it if he or she wants, maybe for training purposes. We certainly all, you know, we all have an interest in well-trained police officers. And there might be footage where the officer says to uh, his or her superior, uh, you know, Hey, this is the situation I dealt with, and I just don't feel good about how it went down. Can you can you take a look and let me know if you think there's ways I could have handled it better? Or you know, here's here's a situation where you know I'm pretty proud of how I handled this. You know, maybe the police department wants to show it to rookies and 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 show them you know some good ways to de-escalate tense situations or what have you. And I think it's in you know it'd be good for everybody if our police officers are well trained. But more broadly, I mean, one of the hardest questions around this issue is when does the public get access sure. to video? And what we're seeing is, unfortunately, I mean, our position is that for the video that's been flagged, where there's been a use of force or a complaint against a police officer or what have you, then it should presumptively be releasable to the public under, you know, state. states all have open records laws that require government to um, be open. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is a lot of police departments who are encouraging their state legislatures or just putting in place their own policies that basically say that none of the video footage is released except when they feel like releasing it. Hmm. And the danger here is that, you know, the video cameras just become a tool for police propaganda. So if you have a police officer doing something heroic, saving a baby from a a river or or what have you, then, you know, the police department will release that video footage in in a flash. But if you have a situation that's very controversial where a police officer maybe doesn't look so good, they won't release it. And, you know, police departments are bureaucracies and bureaucracies are always trying to defend themselves. And, and so I think that it's up to state legislatures and other policymakers to put pressure on police departments to uh, not to have those kind of policies. And if necessary, pass into law the definition of public records requests that at least the flagged video footage mm-hmm. um, should be publicly releasable. Now, there are some states that have very broad open records laws already that define all of the video footage that's taken as a public record. Hmm. And that actually goes too far in the other direction sure. because it has the potential to be a real privacy problem if every traffic stop and, and domestic violence situation you know, suddenly um, can be foia by a TV station who, who might want to run it for hijinks or, or what have you. Right. Well, you know, I think all the scenarios you're talking about, I hope people understand the complexity to it. And then, as you said, it's not as simple as, okay, a department's going to slap cameras on all these officers and we're good to go and everything's going to be fine. I hope, hope that, if anything, that's what people get out of this and understand that, you know, we're a ways away from figuring it all out. And, and with the technology, it can very much be a challenge. We're getting a little low on time. I just wanted to ask in terms of if you've seen, researched, heard from individuals within the police departments or, you know, state city officials, just the overall view 
of the idea of body cameras and the potential challenges? Uh, what's kind of been the, the overall feeling and sentiment when it comes to possibly utilizing this more often? Well, I think it's fair to say this is a technology that's sweeping the nation. I mean, um, you know, I first wrote our white paper on this, you know, again, about like uh, nine months before Ferguson. Right. It was kind of the only thing out there. And it was, we're starting to see uptake rapidly within the police departments, but mostly sort of small police departments. But, you know, after Ferguson, the spotlight really swung onto this technology. A lot of people, I think a lot of people had unrealistic expectations that it would be a silver bullet. Um, I mean, the solution to troubled police departments is is not body cameras. It's a tool and it can be an improvement, mm -hmm. but there needs to be, you know, um, better oversight, better training. There are a lot of deep rooted social problems that aren't going to be solved by any technology. So it's important not to see it as a silver bullet. But, you know, I think that we've seen very rapid uptake in recent years. I think that a lot of police officers are ambivalent about it, although I think that the one, the officers who use it tend to like it more over time. Again, on the privacy side, we're somewhat ambivalent about it because we do recognize that it's, um, you know, it is a surveillance technology um, and has a lot of potential downsides if things aren't done right. I think the polling that I've seen shows that the public's very strongly in favor of them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where things stand in terms of how they're viewed. Well, Jay, as I said, uh, can be and is a very complicated thing that we're going to have to work through. And uh, obviously, individuals like yourself and all the people that are researching it, uh, we hope we can come to what might be at least the best possible solution with this stuff. But some really good information. I appreciate you coming on and sharing with our listeners today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that will do it for us on this edition of Technically Speaking and our conversation with Jay Stanley. He's a senior policy analyst with the ACLU's Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. Gave us some really good information in terms of what policies could look like if police officers are using body-mounted cameras in the future. If you'd like to give us some feedback on this show or any of our podcasts, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can find all of our shows on iTunes as well. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. <laughs>